if you can put those sorts of things together and you can work out what makes an elite athlete, what things should you focus on, then you apply that to your business. You go, okay, what makes a really good class? What makes a really good um, ad? And even if the ad is to a completely different thing or your classes are to a completely different style, you can just put those key factors and key components together and work out what it is that's really important. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com, know the name. George Faree. This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. Hey, Georgia. Welcome to another episode of the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different. We're busy driving in a car. We just finished an event in Sydney. And I've got with me Georgia. Yo, yo, and going? good. And I'm speaking today to someone I've been trying to interview for quite a long time, and it's he's been uh, it's been hard to track down. But finally, I'm in a car with him, and he can't escape. So, <laughs> so uh, no car escape. <laughs> yeah. So, welcome to the show, Geordie Lavers McBain. Thanks for having me on, George. Cool. So, um, so just with the sound, just bear with the sound. I'm going to be passing the phone up and down, so uh, we might the uh, sound might be going in and out, but. Here we go. So first up, Jordi. Thanks, thanks for being on the call. Just for for everyone uh, that doesn't know who you are, you know you own multiple schools. You've got a long history in martial arts. Give us the the two minute take. Who's Jordi Lavers McBain? Okay, that's a complicated question. I'm a martial artist. So I like just about all styles of martial arts. I teach my own style of martial arts in my school and I have a lot of combat sports that I also teach. So I teach wrestling, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, MMA. I have guys who fight in Kyokushin, boxing, lots of different sort of styles of combat sports, but I also have my own style of martial arts, which I've sort of combined with all the different styles um, that I've done over the years. Done a variety of different things, and black belts and a heap of different things. And, um, yeah, so that's what I do there. I also run jiu-jitsu tournaments Queensland and wrestling tournaments in Queensland. And I'm, I also um, am a Defence Force contractor with the Army. I, I go on base two times a week and teach um, grappling, close-quarter grappling and um, different things like that. So it's pretty pretty much me, I guess. Pretty much, but that's that's quite a full plate. So I, <laughs> there's there's a lot of places we could start. I guess just uh, starting. How did you how did you get around to developing your your own style? Yeah, so um, my own style was a combination. So basically, what happened was many years ago, I trained in a lot of different styles of martial arts. I started teaching uh, Zendokai way back in the day, and. Um, my instructor ended up leaving Zendokai and then he sort of went on a different path. So I, I started doing my own system and Zendokai's philosophy was the best of everything in progression. And I really sort of took that to heart. So I started sort of thinking about what other things can I incorporate into what we do? Um, I looked at different ways to test that. So I, I'd bounced for about 15 years. So I sort of worked out a few things that worked in that environment. Also, I sort of was just looking at different different uh, ways that we could test things, such as like, you know, how do we work out if a body punch is effective for multiple areas so if I'm doing 
um, boxing and I've got a big glove on, I punch someone in the stomach and that works and then I put on say uh, a smaller glove and tie boxing sort of arena and I punch them in the stomach and it still works and then I get a smaller glove like an MMA glove and punch them in the stomach and it still works and then I put on like a little like padded um, piece of felt like in kudo and you still punch them in the stomach and it works and then you go in kyokushin you punch them in the stomach it works it's kind of like well that punch is probably universally going to work because it's worked against fully resisting opponents so we'll incorporate that into our martial arts system. But anything which is only really sport specific or in like only sort of works in one environment, we tend not to focus on that in our core curriculum. And that's something that if people want to do, then they're going to learn that as an extra. So if someone becomes like an elite level jiu-jitsu player and they want to learn, um, you know, some inverted guard or something like that, that's fine. That's where we'll teach it to them. But in the context of our martial arts curriculum, we're not going to do that because it's not going to work in other environments. It's not going to work against someone in the streets, not going to work against multiple people, it's not going to work when someone's armed, we're probably not going to worry about incorporating an inverted guard in that sort of scenario, so we take that out of our curriculum. So we just tried to have something which is really practical. Gotcha, so how do you, how do you prioritise all that? Because I mean that's, that's a lot going on, is, is your, your own style, is that sort of the top priority of what you focus on in the schools or how do you juggle in between, all, in, in between them all? Yeah, so my own style is uh, kind of like my legacy, I guess, because it's my style. People say, what's the best style in the world? And, you know, the normal answer is there isn't one. But when you have your own style and you have complete control over what the curriculum is, then it should be your style. So I believe that my style is the best style in the world because it's the best style for me. And if it wasn't, there was something which wasn't impractical in it or there's something I didn't agree with, I could change it immediately and then it becomes the best style again. So that is my kind of hope for my legacy, uh, future generations and so on. It's my pressure testing and constantly re-evaluating re through all the different con combat sports we do, and plus the stuff I do with the army and plus different other groups of people that I teach in different uh, contexts and environments. We sort of look at that. But as far as like, basically we have grappling without a gi, grappling with a, a gi, striking without a gi, um, striking with one and combine them together with a gi without. Um, in our combat sports um, sort of scenarios and um, yeah, it comes together that way. All right, perfect, so, so just to give it some, some context as well, which is a question I haven't asked. So you're running, you're running multiple schools, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So I have two full-time schools which I run and own myself and I also have a, a part-time school which I also teach at because uh, I, I, I train during the day near that school so um, I work there and I also have uh, 10 other schools that my students run uh, in different locations. Right, cool. So, jumping over to the to the military, how does how does that fit into all this in the schedule? So yeah, I'm there two days a week, so that's sort of how it fits into my personal schedule. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's 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 rephrase. Um, <laughs> tell first first up. Tell me a bit more about the working with the military and how that how that got started. Okay, yeah, so I've always been interested in that style of thing. So I've done a lot of um, training with different people over the years and combatives training and stuff like that and tried to find, um, you know, the, the truest sources of that sort of information, um, first-hand knowledge and so on. And um, anyway, what really happened was when Kudo first sort of started growing up in Australia, Paul Cale, who's ex-Special Forces and a commando, 
uh, introduced me to a heap of other soldiers that were all either special forces still or they were um, just you know um, soldiers that were involved in that combative style thing on base and on different bases all around and um, through that I got to meet these different people and then I eventually got invited onto a base to teach a seminar. From that seminar I got invited back again. They, they seemed to feel like the, the direction that I was teaching and the, and the, and the skill set which I was trying to impart was much more along the lines of what they were after in developing with soldiers. And so from that, um, basically I ended up getting a, a Defence Force contract. Um, I got a pass which lets me on base any time of the day or night and I can go there all the time and train and teach and we run tournaments and competitions and with a variety of different rule sets um, that sort of try to reflect uh, the, the same um, same features of what's going to happen out in the battlefield. So what's important? How should you know that? What, what should people be able to do? What shouldn't they be able to do? If, you know, if, you've, if you've got all your gear on and, and you're rolling around on the ground, there's certain positions that just aren't going to work for you. If someone's, um, you know, essentially you've got your primary weapon, you've got your secondary weapon, which are both um, firearms, and then you've got a knife, which is usually on your hip, and then you've got a last resort knife, knife which is on your chest. And how do we incorporate those sorts of things at close quarters? Um, and what stuff's happening from there. Um, Paul Cale wrote the Australian Combatives Program, sorry, the Army Combatives Program, um, which everybody um, in the Australian Army has to know. And this sort of stuff is a continuation training. So it's a, a way for soldiers, once they've got their basic course down, that they can continue on with those same goals and mindsets in place or, or, or be aggressive, push forward, never give up, um, and, and other features of that. Um, for example, we don't do leg locks whatsoever in the army when we're grappling because a few things. One, you've got boots on. Two, if I'm playing with your legs, you can stab me or shoot me. Um, and usually when you go for a leg submission, you have to give up top domination to go to the bottom. Um, and in those sorts of um, circumstances, it's really um, not advantageous. So we just got to make sure that we're always staying with that mindset of how do we get back on the gear that we're meant to be using and rather than make it into a mixed martial arts match or something like that. Everything has to be always focused towards um, moving towards the objective um, in that situation. We try to do our finals in a cage because when you're doing room clearance drills and in urban warfare, you, you know, if you kick a door and you have to go in and um, get someone, what's going to happen is you're going to be up against a wall. You're going to be up against something and that they might put you against it, you might put them against it. So we have to do a lot of drills that sort of relate to that. and. A lot of different martial arts styles have drills where they fight people against a wall, but you really can't go beyond things like the, the, the information that MMA's pulled out um, and the tactics and knowledge of that. And then if you weaponize that, and then you also add other people in your team to doing the techniques, then you can really start to develop some really good tactics and then you can practice them against live people and develop competitions for it. And uh, that's, what, that's what basically my role is to help do. Um, we wear things like plate carriers, so you know, armoured plate carriers, which we put um, rubber inside of um, for PPE. Um, and what happens is you can throw people and choke them and, and use that against them. And it becomes a little bit more realistic. And, um, you know, we're just trying to work out what tactics and what ways that, that can work. So, yeah, so that's pretty much how I got there and the stuff we do, I think. Okay, so, I mean, working at that high level of, of self-defence, you know, if you look at everyday martial arts schools you know and everybody likes to promote the aspect of self-defense what do you what do you feel is is missing in that I mean if you're working on, on that type of level where, where it has to be so realistic because it's a life-and-death situation how do you feel 
martial arts, what do you think martial arts schools can do better to make things a bit more realistic or, you know, up the game with, with self-defense? Yeah, so pressure testing is really important, creating dynamic simulations where um, you're recreating the environment in which you're hoping to defend yourself is important. Putting people under duress and stress and seeing how they perform. Also, like for me, there's three battles you've got to win in self-defense. So the first battle you have to win is the immediate physical battle, which is right now. And you know, there's enough techniques out there in the martial arts world to understand that. Certain situations are going to be more extreme. Uh, a lot of people don't practice, you know, defending another person or, or, or defending um, against um, somebody else with somebody else. But, but that sort of stuff probably isn't as important as making sure you've got some core fundamental physical skills. And, and if you want to win that physical battle, that's anywhere from now to three seconds to two minutes or, you know, it really depends on how long it goes. Some self-defense situations can take a long time, others are over in a split second. But you then got to move on to the next one, which is your legal battle. Now, even in the military, there's rules of engagement. Everyone's sort of obliged to follow some rules. And, um, you know, you have to follow those rules. If you don't, you're in breach of that. And in, in the real world, you know, if, as a civilian, if we don't follow those rules, we might go to jail for the next 25 years. And then, of course, you've got to win the moral battle, which is the last battle, which is the, the battle of, um, you know, are you happy with what you did? So, you know, Uncle Bob's there at Christmas time. He's had too much to drink and you know, he's grabbed the butter knife and he threatens you with it. And, you know, it's a lethal weapon. And, you know, you poke him in the eye of your finger and he's blind. And every Christmas you have to go back and see Uncle Bob and your grandma won't talk to you anymore because he's wearing a patch over his eye. And your mum won't speak to you so much anymore because you're blinded Uncle Bob umbrella. You know, you're having a bit of trouble sleeping with her because you never really thought you'd poke someone in the eye, it was a bit squishy, and you sort of feel that every time you, you know, pick up something which is a bit squishy and it gives you nightmares. You're sort of losing that moral battle, and if it's really full on, maybe, you know, that's going to be, your life is now upset by that. You can't sleep every night, you're getting nightmares, it's coming back to you all because of something you did, which you might not have really meant to do. So the reality is you have to already be sure of what you're going to be able to do morally before you worry about what you're going to do. And then you also have to understand legally what you're going to have to do. So realistically, the last thing is actually the physical. You have to be morally prepared for what you're going to do. You have to be legally understood, you know, what would a reasonable person do in that situation? Did you actually fear for the result, you know, in correspondence to what you actually did to the person? Was that there? And then physically, were you capable of actually doing it? So I think that probably would be a good thing to sort of start with when focusing on self-defense. Right, awesome. So just um, looking at the time we have, tell me a bit more about your, your tournaments and, and that side of your, your martial arts. Sure, yeah. I ran my first grappling tournament in uh, 2003 um, and that was like um, shoot wrestling combined with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and some guys were doing different styles of sort of submission style wrestling back then in Queensland and we just wanted to get everyone together to do a tournament. There wasn't really many tournaments around there. Matt Cooper was running tournaments but there was no internet really telling anyone anything so it was all word of mouth. So I started then and then um, that sort of moved forward to Daniel Lima who's my Jiu-Jitsu coach and I um, decided to form a partnership and um, start running jiu-jitsu comps, um, trying to lift the level of the Queensland competitors so that we weren't doing so well in jiu-jitsu tournaments up here. I was actually taking students in a state three or four times every year to go compete in other states so that we could lift our competition game. And we just figured if we could run more comps here, we'd lift our own level locally, we wouldn't have to travel. So that started out 
um, slow. The Queensland Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Circuit is the name of our uh, association or our circuit. We're now affiliated with the Australian Federation of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. We did that about four years ago. So we run the state championships for that up in Queensland. Uh, this year we've got 16 tournaments. Next year we've already got 22 tournaments planned. We go to regional uh, Queensland. So a lot of the other states, the, the state bodies who run the tournaments will only stay like in their, in their major city. So if they're in Victoria, the, the Victorian Federation only really runs competitions in um, Melbourne, whereas we're, we're running competitions in Cairns, Townsville, Rockhampton, Gladstone, Mackay, up on the Sunshine Coast, Ipswich, Brisbane, Gold Coast. We, we're trying to run competitions all over. We really want to be a circuit for the whole state. You know, some of the competitions are quite small. Some of the competitions took us like two, three years before we actually made the money back on the flights. And get it, we, we try to have the best quality referees on our tournaments as well. So it took a bit of time. The other thing we do is none of our staff are volunteers everybody's paid you give someone a t-shirt you know we, we pay you for that we pay everybody we make sure we're paying them above award wage and um, really try and look after our staff because our staff uh, are important we give um, our referees really good money because if you have bad referees you have a bad tournament um, so that's kind of the jiu-jitsu uh, also run wrestling tournaments um, i've run a lot of kudo tournaments as well and i run like even within my own club because we do multiple styles we run our own internal tournaments uh, twice a year. I enjoy running tournaments. I find um, once you've got a good system in place, it's really, really easy to just continue on. I've got some really good staff members now. Um, some of them are getting paid really well. Some of them are, um, are almost on a, on a wage um, because what we're doing is we're just making sure that they're constantly able to organise the things that we need them to organise. So we can really offer a really good product to um, people who want to compete. We want to make sure it's a, the smoothest and the easiest tournament. Um, we don't charge spectators at our tournaments either especially jiu-jitsu because to me if you go watch jiu-jitsu it's generally because your mum your dad your son your daughter your niece your nephew someone related to you or some close personal friend is competing you're not going there for the spectacle of it no one's saying hey what are you doing saturday or sunday oh nothing oh let's go watch a jiu-jitsu tournament no one's doing that unless they're doing jiu-jitsu whereas people might go watch boxing or kickboxing or something but no one's doing that for jiu-jitsu it's probably like it's probably pretty boring to watch, to be honest. The rules are really complicated. It's hard to sort of understand uh, what's happening. And the, the best guys in the world, you know, are the most exciting if you understand that when he changed his grip from the left lapel to the right lapel, that was really complex and something's about to happen. But mum and dad don't get that. So why should we charge these people um, a spectator fee? So we also just make sure that everyone has the, we try to make everyone have the best experience that they could possibly have at our competitions. We were doing, um, really big customised medals probably about seven years before anybody else was doing that around and um, really spent the money on, on, on things that we felt were important and we're reinvesting all the time um, we're actually sponsoring a, um, a movie to Netflix level quality movie to come out in the history of Jiu Jitsu in Queensland uh, and we've decided that we're going to sponsor that. We don't have any um, creative control over it so you know we're just sort of hoping that it makes everyone look really good and hope it makes us look really good but but the thing is it might not we've hired an independent director who's won multiple awards and we're like okay let's let's show everybody this so we're trying to put back in um, and the way we can do that is um, by running really good tournaments and people support it and then we try and support the community back ourselves so it's just one of the things we're doing awesome so so on the business side i mean you've got you got lots going on you know, you, um, you're a man of few words, but you, your actions speak super loud of you know, the things that you are doing. If we talk, if talking on the business side, what do you, what do you feel is your, you know, your big thing 
you know, your sort of zone of, of what you're doing in business that makes you really successful? I just really like teaching martial arts and teaching classes. So I think if you're passionate about what you do, people pick up on that. Um, I can't even walk past a class that I'm not meant to be teaching and not want to get in there and teach. I think if you're genuine, people feel that genuineness and, and they want to follow on. I, I really love structure and systems. Uh, I really like analyzing curriculums and developing systems for things and really trying to work out what the truth of something is and, and get the most resolve from that. I've, I'm lucky, I've trained a lot of sort of champion athletes and like my wife has uh, 67 titles in eight different combat sports. She was a world Muay Thai champion, Australian boxing champ, uh, Australian Kyokushin champ, high level jiu-jitsu champion, multiple different things like that, national titles and so on. Uh, world combat wrestling champion, kudo champion, MMA fighter, he heap of different things like that. And basically it's just working out what works and, and the business is exactly the same. So you, you sit there and go, well, how, does that, how do I make something work? So once you work it out, you know, if you get someone who's a world Muay Thai champion, you can make them a world combat wrestling champion. And she's hoping to get in the Olympic Games for freestyle wrestling um, coming up in, in Tokyo. If you can put those sorts of things together and you can work out what makes an elite athlete, what things should you focus on? Then you apply that to your business. And you go, okay, what makes a really good class? What makes a really good um, ad? And even if the ad is to a completely different thing or your classes are a completely different style, you can just put those key factors and key components together and work out what it is that's really important. What, what are the things that actually matter? Because there's a lot of fluff and there's a lot of other stuff out there that'll get you a 1% return or a 2% return here. But the reality is, you know, if you can get something that gives you a 25% return on effort, why spend time and effort on something that's, that's going to give you a lower yield result? And then at the, at the top end, you, you're, you've got to be prepared to change so much of what you do. So I've done a lot of traditional martial arts styles. And if you say to a, uh, like a pure traditionalist that you can improve an aspect of what they do by, say, 80% if they change 2% of what they do, they won't do it. Like my personal experience is they just won't do it because it's not traditional, it's not what they do. But if you say to an athlete, if you change 80% of what you do, I can give you a 2% return and you're at a top level, you'll change 80% of what you do. And if you take that sort of association across to business, you know, if someone could say to you, I can improve your bottom line by, by, by 2% if you change 80% of what you do, that's an improvement. You know, why not do that? Um, because it's never going to be the other way around. It's never going to be if you change 2%, you're going to get an 80% return. Sometimes you've got to make big changes and, and, and look at those sorts of things. How do I just get that slight different improvement? And you've got to take risks and you've got to try and see what's the most up-to-date thing um, out there. I, the first set of kettlebells I ever got, I imported from, um, uh, I think it was the Czech Republic. It was somewhere over in Eastern Europe and no one had them in Australia. And I got this really old wrestling book um, that was actually written in Russian and they had kettlebells there and I, they had a lot of pictures in it. And I thought, that looks like a really good thing. How do I get those things? It took me ages to find out what they were called. And now you can buy them from Kmart. So if you want to stay cutting edge too, you can't just rest on your laurels and say, yep, we've worked that out. You've got to be always like, well, what's changing? What's the next, what's, what's the next most proven effective thing that you can do? And, and a lot of fads end up being not very good um, you know even people who do ice cold baths have found you know research is now showing that just stretching lightly after training gives you the same result in recovery but because all the football teams are doing it everyone just assumed it was the way you should do it you know so don't always just jump on fads either try and do a bit of research and try and do try and really work it out just because the good guys do it doesn't mean it's actually giving any effect
Yeah, cool. So, so on that, on optimizing, you know, you're talking about optimizing little, making little changes that really optimize your business, etc. Is there is there things that you, you know, with the optimizing, sometimes it's 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 easier to remove stuff than to just add stuff. Because I think we always always want to, you know, there's a danger in always wanting the best thing because you end up um, kind of, you know, going halfway in in a lot of things. You know, you major in minor tasks type of thing. So, are there is there sort of a couple of things that you really focus on to to optimize your results and are there things that you've kind of just eliminated from your school that you don't do that you know maybe the the everyday martial arts school would do that's a good question things i guess your key performance indicators are really important to see what's happening but culture is pretty important so i i sort of look at like i'm a little bit of the what do i want my martial arts school to look like as far as is this somewhere i'd want to train is this somewhere i'd want to do it sometimes that can be a mistake because really then you just start marketing to yourself and as a, you know as someone who's doing martial arts for you know since like eight years old that's pretty tricky because there's not too many of those other guys out there but on the same token you got to sort of look at it and go what do i want what do i want it to look like what do i want it to feel like and how do i cut those things out that aren't like that like i don't do birthday parties at my club because I don't want to do that. It's just something where I'm like, uh, for me, it doesn't feel like it's something that I want to do, so I don't do it. But I know people who are way more successful who do them, but it's just not the culture that I want to do. So I get success not because I don't get those people who would do the birthday party to join up, but because maybe the culture that I'm trying to instill in my students is one where they feel that that's not what we do here, so they like that and then they stay a bit longer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure 100% on that, but there's there's little things where I know I'm doing different to a lot of other schools, but I kind of feel like that is um, that is kind of helping. Hey, Jordy, thanks thanks for being on. And uh, if if any last words, and if people want to find out more about you, where do they where do they go? Um, yeah, probably Facebook would be the easiest. Um, I'm Jordy Lavis McBain, G E O R D I E. Um, and Lavis McBain. I'm sure if you write the first one in, the second one will turn up. Um, yeah, if you want to reach out and touch, my club's called Black Dragon Kai. Um, and yeah, I really appreciated um, you, you wanting to interview me. Thank you very much. You've had some really amazing martial arts on before, so to be grouped with those people is um, a bit of an honour. So thanks heaps, George. Welcome. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jordi, and thanks, Giorgio, for driving us and uh, keeping the podcast running. <laughs> You're welcome, mate. Thank you. See you guys soon. <laughs> All right, awesome. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with other top smart martial arts school owners and have a chat about marketing, lead generation, what's working now, and or just have a, a gentle rant about things that are happening in the industry, then I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group and in there I share a lot of extra videos and downloads and worksheets, things that are working for us when we work help school owners grow and share a couple of video interviews and a bunch of cool extra resources. So uh, it's called the Martial Arts Media Community and an easy way to access it is if you just go to the domain name martialartsmedia.group. So martialartsmedia.group, G-R-O-U-P. There's no .com or anything, martialartsmedia.group. That will take you straight there. Uh, Request to join and I will accept your invitation. Thanks. I'll speak to you on the next episode. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.